So 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So last time we were in 2 Peter, two weeks ago, right, we talked about how Peter was writing about our precious faith. And we imagined in these verses that, that he, as he wrote, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what was holding up our precious faith like you might a very precious stone. And he's encouraging us to see all, all the angles, all the intricacies, the sparkle, the, the beauty. And he talks about and holds up our faith so that we could be encouraged in faith. He does that to strengthen us in our faith so that we would embrace our faith and cherish it and so that we could lay aside and lay down things that we call precious that are actually counterfeits and will eventually eat us up. And, and that's so we, we talked about so we don't end up spiritually like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings with his precious that destroyed him bit by bit over time. Last time we saw first how our faith is precious because it's as valuable as ever. Peter writes to his readers that they have received a faith as precious as ours. And that means that the faith that all believers in history have down to us today, it's no less valuable than the faith of the disciples who became the apostles and founded the early church. Those who got to walk and talk with Jesus. It's just as precious for us. It's just as precious as it ever was. Secondly, we saw that Peter tells us our faith is precious because it's as personal as ever. True faith, unlike what we might get from movies or or, or philosophers, it's not a feeling, it's not a force. But the true faith is centered on a real, live person. And his name is Jesus. And uh, the gospel, the message that we share and proclaim, is an invitation to have a relationship with him. And that personal relationship is saving, it's lasting, it's precious. We third and finally talked about our faith as precious because it's as powerful as ever. Verse 3 says, Christ's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And when you know Jesus personally, you also experience and you receive the power of God for your life. 
And all that stuff that, that Peter said is pretty amazing. But there's more. It's even more precious than the reasons we saw two weeks ago. It's also precious due to God's promises, our participation in the divine nature, and our purity. So fourth, we see how our faith is even more precious because of God's promises. And verse 4 talks about God's great and precious promises. They're great because they're from our great God, and they're going to lead to having a great life. God's promises cannot fail. There are so many promises in his word, a promise of forgiveness if we believe in Jesus, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, promise of eternal life, hope through difficult times, peace through suffering. A few years ago, you might remember we did, I think it was during the summer, a sermon series called Standing on the Promises. And as pastors, we invited you guys to share promises with us that were precious to you, that are precious to you, and then we were going to try to preach on them. I saved, um, well, I saved all those things we got. There's a bunch of them. So I just want to tick off a few of the the promises uh, of God from his word that are precious uh, to you, the people here at Faith. Isaiah 40, 28 was one of them. Those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. Philippians 4, 7, the promise of God's peace when you're worried. 2 Timothy 1, 7, in for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Deuteronomy 4.29, James 4.8, Lamentations 3.25, Proverbs 8.17, Matthew 7. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Uh, what a promise. What a treasure. And, and there's a bunch more I could have done. And obviously, if we go to God's word, there's a whole bunch more. Um, and these promises, you know, they're not just empty words. They are sure. And because our God doesn't change, that means his promises cannot change. Like, like us and like our promises and our words, right? You've all known people that change and go back on their word, but God is faithful. The Bible says all of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus. Absolutely sure. Fifth, our faith is even more precious because of our participation in the divine nature. Back one. Our participation in the divine nature So that sounds immediately a little strange, right? What what is that getting at? What does that mean? Um, 
it doesn't mean that we become a part of God. It doesn't mean that in some new age, I don't know if it would be Buddhist or Hindu kind of way, that, that when we belong to God, our own nature gets swallowed up in him and disappears. No, this is talking about becoming like Jesus through his Holy Spirit living in us. He remains God. We don't become little gods, but the Spirit lives in our hearts to make our lives more like Jesus. The Bible teaches um, a mystical union with Christ that believers have, union with Christ. And a really well-known, famous theologian, John Murray, calls union with Christ the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. So he thinks it's a pretty big deal. So we're reborn, right, when we belong to Jesus. And in a sense, what happens is our nature changes to conform to God's and to be more and more what he created us to be, which was all sidetracked by sin. Just like a baby shares to a certain extent the nature of its parents, right? Like uh, an example that comes to my mind is, is you learn in biology class that one way or the other, children get their eye color uh, from their biological parents. And, you know, there's, I don't know, I feel like in biology class we did something to, like, show the likelihood of what color eyes. So I have green eyes. Sarah has blue. All four of our girls have green eyes, which I'm a little bit proud of, even though there's who cares, right? Even though there's nothing I'd have to do with it. A couple of them are more blue-green, uh, but our nature determines a lot of things besides eye color. Uh, it determines in, in physical attributes. Our nature determines our appetite. Um, Charlotte's, Web, Charlotte's Web is a great book by E.B. White, who's written a lot of other great books. A pig, like Wilbur, in Charlotte's Web, he has a very healthy appetite, and his healthy appetite is for slops. And I think the book describes a little bit what slops is, but it ain't something you want to eat. But pigs love it. A baby has an appetite for her mother's milk. I've heard that, and I'm not no, don't know how to verify this, but I've heard a couple of different times that children's appetites tend to be similar to their fathers. And so, ladies, if you have uh, some picky eaters, if you're a mom, you have some picky eaters, your husband apparently is the one to blame because they tend to follow after their father. Our nature determines our behavior, right? An eagle flies, a fish swims. Nature determines our environment. Even in captivity, monkeys like to hang around in trees. It's just in their nature. And then, so at Brookfield Zoo, you have that really cool monkey house that has the three different parts, like for monkeys in South America, in Africa, and Asia, I think. Nature determines our associations, too. Sheep hang out in flocks right? Cattle hang out in herds. Do you know um, where geese hang out? 
group of geese? Anybody? Gaggle. What about crows? Murder. What about owls? Parliament. A parliament of owls, which is pretty cool. But the point is that our faith involves participation in the divine nature, and our nature is affected. Life as a Christian is different than life in unbelief. We desire and we yearn for different things. It impacts how we do business. It impacts how we treat employees and colleagues, how we relate to our boss and teachers and parents and elders and deacons and pastors in the church, leaders in the church and leaders in society. And, and, and that idea of respecting those in authority from the fourth commandment, fifth commandment, it's not popular today. And, and for the most part, only someone who's participating in the divine nature would strive and want to do something like that, like respecting those in authority, that crazy idea, which is a very good idea, but most people have just thrown it away. Our appetite is different. We want to take in what's pure and holy. Our behavior is no longer just whatever pleases us in the moment, what we feel like doing. It's following Jesus. And our environment and associations change. You like to come to church. You like to sing praise and songs to God. Uh, You want to give up an evening in front of the TV to hang out with other Christians on Sundays and during the week, at youth group maybe, Bible studies, small groups to discuss God's word and the Christian life with other people who are on the same journey that you're on. We work We earn money in order to give, in order to share. And we don't look out for number one. In fact, we don't think of ourselves anymore as number one. Instead, we look to serve those around us, and we put ourselves second. So without that precious faith, all of these things would sound totally crazy. But, Through the Holy Spirit, we desire them now. It's our nature because we have union with Christ. We don't desire all these things perfectly. We still have a lot of growing to do. But if you're a Christian, everything is different in terms of your nature. Finally, our faith is even more precious since it involves our purity in the world. We read that participation in the divine nature will result in escaping the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. If we feed our new nature, we will less and less have interest in the junk food of the world and the garbage in feeding our old nature. Our faith causes us to want to remain pure and holy and not to be fed by the evil around us It's interesting to notice that the corruption in the world is caused by evil desires. Like, we tend to think of the world and us, those are separate things. But it it means that the evil in the world is not just out there. There's evil in here, too. We need purifying. 
A famous pastor wrote to another pastor after this pastor was ordained as a missionary. So it's an encouragement to a newly ordained pastor. And it's older language, and we always got to listen a little more carefully because they, uh, in great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. I'm going to say that again, then do the whole thing. In great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It's not great talents that God blesses, so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And we could certainly add that a pure and holy Christian, period, not just a minister, a pure and holy Christian, period, is a great weapon in God's hand. So, Paul writes that impurity from the world happens from our evil desires, and, and that's, of course, where this precious faith also has to start, inside, in our hearts. Do we want to have this precious faith? Do we yearn for it? Um, so many things are, are, are precious and important to us, and, and rightly so, you know, especially like our family and friends. Um, just a few days ago, I saw something on, on Facebook, and it says, it said, family is everything. And I was kind of like, okay, really? Everything? It's important, but instead, I think the family's really important. I love my family. These, these girls and Sarah um, and my extended family, we just had really blessed that way. Uh, but I think, I don't think, the Bible tells us that there's nothing more precious than faith in Jesus. There's nothing more precious than the biblical faith to make it through life, to see you through the hard times, whether you're being attacked from the outside or having attacks within. There's nothing else worth staking your life on, your everything on. There's nothing, you know, think of faith church. There's nothing more precious to us as a church in the times we're living in. If we want to reach the world, if we want to make a difference, which we do, right? We talk about that a lot. But if we do, we have to be firm in our faith and strengthened in our faith and growing in the faith. In other words, we have to be rooted in the precious faith of God's word and of Jesus Christ if we're going to reach people, if we're going to make any difference in the world. The world doesn't need more people living like the world, knowing the world, and its values. There are plenty of people like that out there. The world, people who don't know the Lord, need something different. They need something special. They need something supernatural. It's out of this world. And it's this precious faith. Peter, the disciple who wrote this, once professed his faith in Jesus. And Jesus said to him, on this rock, I will build my church. There's strength 
And there's stability in our faith for your life, for this church. It can't be shaken even by the gates of hell, says our Lord. So more than anything else you'll ever find in this world, this faith is precious, it's personal, it's powerful. Even more, it involves God's promises, participating in his nature, and purity from the world. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen each one of us and strengthen faith church in the faith in all of these areas. Let's pray along those lines right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your inspired word. Thank you for um, how Peter uses this language of our precious faith, your precious promises. Help us, oh God, uh, to cherish that faith in all the different beautiful angles and, and shining aspects and intricacies of your faith. Oh God, work your faith into our hearts and lives. Work it into this church. Root us deeper. Help us to grow better in the faith. And in that solid foundation that the gates of hell, try as they might, may not even stand against, give us a vision and a passion for uh, sharing this precious faith with others, talking about it with others, living it wherever you call us to live. Thank you, O oh God, for this church, for this day where we can grow in faith in a special way as we gather with brothers and sisters, sing your praise, give our gifts, and especially open up your word. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.